morning. Uh, we're continuing this uh, sermon series on uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, if you haven't been here, uh, good news is, is if you want to get caught up, if you're, you feel like you're missing something today, um, there's sermons are available online, and you could also sign up for a podcast. So if you have a, um, sorry, if you have your um, phone, you can go to Apple, sign up for the podcast, find a new song. There's also a link uh, that's on our website that'll set it up for you. If you're not tech savvy, it should open it up to the app store and download that. And so every time a sermon is uploaded from our church, it'll automatically pop up in that podcast, and you can listen to it while you're riding down the road or whatever. Um, uh, and it, it just gives you gets you caught up. Um, we're trying to get more of that available online, uh, and as things are made available, we'll try to also have video online as well. And so uh, this morning, we're on week seven. Um, we have gone through a couple of things, uh, beginning at first uh, Revelation chapter one, just was an introduction to who Christ was, who God was, that we are seeing this church is under persecution, and we're, we're looking at the fact that Christ says to us that he is with us, and, and at the end of Revelation chapter one, it kind of gives a summary. It it talks about how Jesus is the lamps is the light among the lampstands. That he is the light shining among the lampstands. And these are seven lampstands it talks about, and the seven means wholeness, completeness, perfection. And it's talking about the church, the lampstands. That he is this light that's among the churches who are the lampstands. And, he, and these lampstands represent these seven churches who represent a church as a whole. Uh, and, and we're actually going through the letters to the seven churches right now. And so the first couple of weeks, we've talked about the fact that uh, the, the very first church kind of set the whole tone for everything. John wants the church to follow Christ and wants, them to do, wants the church to do so wholeheartedly. Uh, and, and the very first church that talked about how, how, how God has called us to love first. And see, the first church, Ephesus, it forgot its first love. It said, you're doing all this stuff right, but if you forget the very reason that you have done this stuff, then you're missing the whole point. I mean, if you're trying to do things for people, but you forget to love them, then you've missed the whole point of why Jesus even came. I mean, if Jesus came, walked the earth, died on the cross for us, but never took time to love people, it wouldn't mean anything to us, right? I mean, God took time to be with us, walk with us, teach us about love, teach us what it means to love others the way God loves us, right? And so he's, the, Jesus is speaking to John, who's speaking to the, the, the angel at the church, who shares with the church, hey, look, this is what you need to remember to love others, to love, to forget about your first, to not forget about your first love, and these letters continue to talk about persecution that have happened in the church, and Jesus is sharing with us that He is with us in this persecution to to not lose heart, and but also it talks about cultural change, cultural shock and change that's happening in churches around this uh, the Roman region. It's not, very, it's not much different than what is happening in our society around us now. The church is finding itself in the midst of a cultural change. The culture is different, hopefully different, than our church. If our church is the same as the culture around us, we have missed the whole point. Uh, we are not to be in the world. We're, we're supposed to live in the world, but not be of the world. In other words, we're supposed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the world can change and the world can see who Jesus is. But if we're living like the world around us, we've missed being the church in the midst of 
this society or this culture or the world that needs to hear Jesus so desperately. See, God loves us so much that he loves us the way we are, but he doesn't want to keep us that way. He wants us to be more like him. And so when we are loved that way, we understand that we understand who Christ Jesus our Lord is, we understand who our Lord is, and then we are loved so much that God doesn't want us to live the same way we were before. He says, I want you to be better because I know you can be. I see you for who you are. I see you for what potential you have that I have created in you to be. And so God loves us that much that he wants us to be who we have been created to be. And so the other churches here are struggling with this culture. They're struggling with things that have been introduced. Uh, there's uh, things that they were talking about. There's sexual immorality. There's, uh, there's some that are trying to teach things that are opposed to the gospel. And, and we see all these things that have taken place one thing after another. And, and we come to this, to this place where we are today. And I'm not going to read through uh, the, church, the letter to the church in Philadelphia because really the, the letter to the church in the Philadelphia is very similar to what has happened in prior letters to the churches. It's just a different focus of the group. There is a, a group of Jewish people that are within the church that are causing issues, that are causing the church to have problems. And, and, and we don't even know what the issues are. Uh, we hear, hear a little bit about it from Paul and, and when he talks about the church, in, the church of, in Galatia. And so he talks about how there's these Judaizers in the church that want everybody to do exactly what it is said into the law. And so you have Gentiles in this area, a very similar area to the church in Philadelphia, where they, are, they have been taught to be Gentiles. They, they don't have anything to do with the Jewish faith. And they don't know anything to do with the Jewish customs and laws. And these Judaizers are trying to teach them to do everything that's in the law, even though Jesus has changed their life. And it's not the gospel and the law, it's the gospel. That's the New Testament. The, 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 the law gives us the ability to know what it's like to help us to guide our life and keep us on a, a narrow, but actually Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So if we follow who Christ is, we don't really need to go back and do the 100,000 different things that you can find in the Old Testament. It feels like 100,000. It's actually 687 laws. Do you all want to learn that today? I don't want to learn the laws. I just go look and see what Jesus is doing. Uh, one of my friends and I, uh, my friend Matt, he's, uh, we've been friends since uh, I, I first went into ministry. He's in, uh, he works in Clayton. He's got two churches. They're awesome places to go and worship if you're ever up there. Greater Heights is one of them. That's his main campus. Uh, Matt and I were talking uh, this week when we had a break at conference, and I, I sat down with him. I was like, Matt, I was like, how are you feeling about everything? He said, look, he said, he said, I really feel like the church needs to just focus on preaching the gospel of Jesus. He said, and I think if we do that, we can actually make disciples of Christ instead of doing all the other stuff that we keep focusing on and missing the whole point. Does that make sense to you guys? We actually just focus on preaching the gospel of Jesus and how to love our neighbor as ourselves, how to love God the way God loves us, and actually sharing that love in the world, then God will do the rest. I promise you, if we can start focusing on that stuff, God will do the rest. God, we, God doesn't ask us to do all those extra things in between. He says, just focus on what I have commanded you to do, and I'll do the rest. But we've got to trust that. 
And so we were talking about this back and forth for a little while, and I, and I got to thinking, I was like, this is very similar to what is going on here in Philadelphia. They're, they're, most likely, Judaizers are in the church, is what they're called, and, they're, and they are trying to teach them the law and the gospel instead of just focusing on what Jesus, who Jesus is. And we don't need that anymore, folks. <laughs> We've got too many people giving us so many other things that we have to do in life. I don't want to have the church saying you've got to be this rigid when you have other places in our world that are telling us that we've got to be so rigid that we end up putting ourselves in 14 different boxes and don't know who we really are. And that's what, what is, is going on in Galatia and, and what they believe is going on in Philadelphia. But we're actually going to talk about uh, this church in Laodicea. It's one that I feel like uh, is one that's often misunderstood. Uh, Laodicea is this church, it's the last church on the list, it's the seventh church that John, uh, that John is writing to. And this church is, um, has been established for a while. Uh, this church has been, uh, it's probably one of the older churches, but it's also uh, one of the, um, the newest faiths. They, uh, it, the church began uh, in a different way, uh, not to get in those details, but the, the, it's got the newest faith, the, probably the newest radical faith that's taking place. And the reason is, is because Laodicea was the central hub of trade in the area. Uh, it, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes II, he actually was the one that established the, uh, the church, or not the church, but the town of Laodicea. It was supposed to be a, war, a place that they could gather for war, but it ended up not being such a good place for that. But during times of peace, it was perfect for trade. And so during times of peace, this place grew. It became this central hub. And so there are all sorts of stuff going on here. You have textiles that were, that were being made in this area. One of those was this really interesting black wool that they would make. They would make clothing. They would, make, they would weave black wool into uh, rugs. And it became this commodity, this hot commodity that was in this area uh, for where they're at. Another thing was their medical community was great. I mean, it was like if, if you were comparing it to anywhere else, it would be like like saying that it's, you know, maybe the John Hopkins or Duke or UNC of the area. You know, they have the top medical people there. And so uh, not only did they, uh, did they have the best doctors, but they also made the best products. <laughs> In other words, uh, they, they actually had this uh, powder that was used to mix together to make eye, uh, eye oil or eye balm that you could put on your eyes and, and actually it would, if you had um, problems like pink eye or other things like that, this eye balm would take those problems away. And so they were very high up in their understanding of medicine and this was the central place for it. And now Rome was not unknown to be top in everything. Uh, very similar to our nation now, we are, you know, we're kind of, uh, we, we are, have been known to have the best technology, the best medical, the, mes the best, uh, supposedly the best roads. <laughs> Hopefully we can say that again. <laughs> uh, don't go down some of the roads that have so many potholes that your car is doing this. Some places it's like that. We do need to fix our infrastructure, but hey, it's one of those things. Uh, we'll get to it. But our, our nation, comparably to the rest of the world, is probably way above other countries in all these technologies, all these things, is very similar to what Laodicea is like. And Laodicea has all these things going for it. And, it says, and, and we're going to get into this letter. It's, John starts speaking to that. It says, you know what? You're relying on yourself so much that you totally missed the point. <laughs> you totally missed what I'm trying to tell you. 
And I think that we found ourselves, I feel like we can find ourselves in that if we're not careful, uh, living in a nation that has so many things for us that we forget to rely on the person who has provided everything that we need. And so this morning, let's listen to this letter. It says, write to the letter, to this to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of, of the Amen, the faithful true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either cold or hot, so because, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. After all, you say, I am rich and have grown wealthy, I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. My advice is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you might be rich and walk, wear clothing and, and, and white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shameful and exposed. And ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. I correct and discipline those whom I love, so be earnest and change your hearts and lives. Look, I am standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to be with them and will have dinner with them, and they will have dinner with me. As for those who emerge victorious, I will allow them to sit with my, me on, my, on the throne just as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on the throne. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning as we look at this, the very first couple of verses really stick out to me. It says, I know your works. You're neither hot or cold. You're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So, that, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's pretty, pretty straightforward saying something very serious to people who are supposed to be a people of faith. But what's happened is they have lost, lost what it is that John is trying to help them to remember. And, and one of the things that's very clear in the minds of Laodicea in this church is this idea of lukewarm. You see, before the Romans made some changes to their, their uh, system of water in the area, uh, the, these, the Laodiceans had probably the worst water that you could possibly have in the city of Rome. They had six miles for the water to travel. Now, Romans were smart. They had great roads. That was one of the first reasons that, uh, that, that they can be t this taught, how they, they expanded their kingdom so much, and it stayed that way. They could get somewhere and get somewhere fast. And then the second thing was is they developed these massive water systems. And, and if you actually go to Rome, you can see these pillars that are lined up. And every so often you'll still see where there is this, uh, this material that they carved out of, out of, uh, out of stones. And, and the stones would actually carry water long distances over the top of them until it got to the towns. When it got to the towns, it would be dispersed from those places. But their water traveled six miles in the sunlight, in the daytime, and by the time it got to their town, in that process of getting to them, it was lukewarm. And nobody wanted to drink it. And so it's saying, and it's just saying, look, you're like the water that comes into your town that nobody likes, and everybody wants to spit out when they try to drink it. It doesn't quench your thirst. It's not useful. Hot water is useful. Hot water it will cleanse you. Hot water is used for baths, and, and people would use it to help in medicine. 
Cold water is useful, right? When you drink water, it quenches your thirst. It helps you feel better. It cools your body. But something in between those two is not very useful most of the time in, in many situations. And, and not only is it saying that you're, you're not useful, it's saying that you are so unuseful, I'm going to throw you away. It's pretty strong language here. But it's also trying to remind us and remind the church in Laodicea that you need to be one or the other. You need to be useful. You need to have purpose. And see, the problem with the Laodiceans is everything they had available was, I mean, they, they were independent. They didn't accept money from anyone. In fact, their city was in a great earthquake beforehand, and it was ransacked because of this earthquake. It just was torn to pieces, and they were offered money from the upper Roman government to fix their city, but they were like, no, 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 we're too rich. We don't need the money. We're going to do it ourselves. And so they rebuilt the city. They were independent. There were so many people around that had everything that they could possibly need, it was hard for them to see that they needed Jesus and needed purpose in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of that going on, I think, in our society today. It's really hard, as Jesus even says, and and John hints to it here, it's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because they have so much. He says it's so hard that it's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And somebody would say, well, that's impossible, but if you actually go through and see where these, uh, or if you look at the the history there, uh, there was actually this doorway as you're going into a city that would be the regular size of that door, (laughs) Uh, maybe smaller because people were a little shorter back then, and people would go through those doors, whereas, and it was called the eye of the needle, you would actually go through this eye of the needle door instead of the main doorway into the city. And so the eye of the needle is not an eye as you thread the needle. It is actually this small doorway. And Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel to go through that small doorway to get into a city than it is for a person who is rich to enter the city of God. You get the kind of point that's being made there. It's not that it's impossible It's just really difficult to get the point across. And I think this is where John's really getting serious. He he says, look, he says, look, you're neither hot nor cold. You're like that water that you're ready to spew out of your mouth. Now, there's other interpretations of this. Don't get me wrong. It's very, either way, you get to the same point. Another verse, another idea that's been made off of this uh, recent years is that somebody found an actual uh, written um, history account of what it's, uh, I guess, a big disrespect when you go into someone's house was to offer something that was neither cold nor hot to drink. So it, it particularly came to wine. You either want it chilled in, in, the, in like the snow, or if you were close to the mountains, the snow, or you wanted it a little warmer than this lukewarm temperature. That's just how they drank it back then. And so people were, it was actually rude to offer something that was really hot. I mean, it was, it was lukewarm and not hot or cold. So that's another way of doing it. However, you get to the same point. <laughs> You've got to be cold or you got to be hot. You can't be in between. You've got to make a decision. And God is asking all of us, and it's not, just, it's not a decision of yes or no. I think that's the point that people miss, is that this is actually asking us to find our purpose 
It could be one, it could be one thing or another. It could be 20 things. But figure out what God is wanting you to do. Make a decision and don't just stand still. Don't just stand still, but find that purpose there that God wants you to have in life. And so this, this, uh, this gospel, conti- or, or John continues to speak to them in this letter, and he shares a couple of things as he goes on. He says, after all, all you say, I'm rich, and I've grown wealthy, this is verse 17, and I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> I mean, those are pretty strong words. You're not realizing where you really are because you feel like you're rich and you have everything you want. But the people have become so dependent on things and how they can do things on their own that they don't even realize that they need Jesus Christ in their life. They don't realize that they need God in their life. And that happens even if we don't realize it in our own lives. It's easy to say you're Christian. It's easy to say that you're a follower of Christ, but sometimes it's we don't necessarily live that out throughout the day. Do you take time throughout the day to pause for prayer? And really mean it, not just walk from one thing to the other and praying as you're walking 30 paces, but actually really take time for God in the day. Do you take time to start your day and, and, and give your day to God and remember that it's God who's given you the very breath that you're taking, that you woke up that morning. Are you given time for God? Are you taking time to remember who it is that's given food on the table for you, who's given shelter for you? Are you taking time to remember those that need food and shelter? What are the things you're doing to give that day to God each and every day so that you can find that purpose, that you, so that you're neither hot, I mean, that you're, you're not lukewarm, you're either hot or cold, that you can find that purpose in your life? So John is trying to remind them that even though you might think you have everything, if you're missing Jesus, you don't have anything. You know, all the stuff that they have around them. I mean, listen to the language. I mean, they have, they have, the, best, they have the best stuff that can help in medicine as possible. And it says, and this medicine is for their eyes. And it says, if you don't have Jesus in your life, that you're blind. In other words, that medicine you have, it's not going to help you. If you're, if you're without Christ. It, it, and, and those clothes that you make, all those really nice clothes you make that are, made, that, are, that are the top of around everybody's wanting that black wool, guess what? If you don't have Christ, you're naked. You're walking around naked. And it was shameful to be naked in this culture, for, especially for a culture of faith. And so he is really trying to share with them that you're going to be miserable, you're going to be pathetic, you're going to be without Christ, and you're going to be without life. And, and without Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say in this letter to the church in Laodicea, he says, My advice to you is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich. So this gold that has been given to, that, that we can buy, it's, it's amazing that the language is used because th- this culture is knowing what this idea trade is. You have to have money to buy it. But John's saying much more here because he says, the, and wear this white clothing that I have so that your nakedness will not be shameful. And put ointment, my ointment, on your eyes so that you might see. You see, God wants us to have his currency, and I don't mean money. He's actually saying that I want to give you the riches that I can bring to you. 
Now, I want to share something with you, and I've shared it before, I think, but I, I, to get kind of real with you, there is nothing we own, there's nothing physically we own, monetarily that we own, anything we own that's worth anything to God when it's not given to Him. I want you all to hear that for just a moment. I could have $100,000, it could be in my pocket, and that, that, that $100,000 is not worth anything to God unless it's given to God's kingdom. And I don't mean to say give you, you know, that it's necessarily saying, hey, give it to the church or something. I'm just saying, if it is not God's, it is not worth anything. And truthfully, it's not worth anything until God blesses it. Now, that's when it changes. You see, the, the five loaves and the two fishes, that was only worth one meal to the person in front of them, and it was only going to feed one person to the person in front of them. It was worth a little bit to that one person. When that meal was given to God, it became something that was exponentially worth more. And so what John is sharing with you, stop worrying about all the stuff that's worthless around you and buy the gold that's been refined by my fire, the pure gold. It's like telling somebody, and ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Some men may do too, but I know the ladies know what I'm talking about. It's like somebody giving you a choice between 24 karat gold and 14 karat gold. Which one are you going to go with? Yeah, most likely the 24 karat gold is worth three or four times as much as the 14 karat. It's perfect. It, it is refined by the purest fire. It is the most perfect form of gold you can have. And, and what it's saying is it's not saying that you need to go out and buy my gold as in he has a big treasure box full of this gold. He is saying that the, most great, the greatest treasure in heaven belongs to you. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so just kind of follow me. If you, and then the next thing he says, if, you're, if you do this, if you go find this gold, you also need to wear the white clothing I have. It's direct opposite of the black wool that they're selling. In other words, all this rich stuff that you're wearing right now means nothing to me in the kingdom of heaven because it's not of me. It's taking you further away from me. And so when we have all this stuff that starts taking us further away from God, whether it's, uh, whether it's material things, whether it's, you know, it could be anything in your life, that stuff that represent, may be represented by this black wool <laughs> or this gold that you may have that you think is you're holding on to this stuff, is not worth anything compared to what John wants in your life. And then the next thing it says, put ointment on your eyes so that you might be able to see. In other words, you may be, you may be completely filled uh, with, with all the medicines you have. You open up that medicine cabinet and you have all the cool stuff that you can possibly get. <laughs> but unless you have Christ, you're never going to be able to see. You're going to be blind. This is where I'm going with this. This is where John goes with this. He is basically saying is that all this stuff that you've been buying that's costing you a fortune, all this stuff that you feel like you're putting in your life that doesn't really mean anything to God because it's not really of God, it's taking you further away from God. All this stuff that you're putting all your time and energy in is not what you should be putting your time and energy in. He's saying, look, he said, I have paid for the refined gold. I have paid for the clothing to wear. I have paid for the ointment so that you may be able to see it was paid for in Jesus Christ. It is free because I bought it for you. You just have to accept it. And why it goes to that is because the next few verses it says Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking to get in. 
It doesn't matter how much money you have, you're still going to have to go to that door and open it up to allow him to come in your life. He's not going to stand there and open the door for you. In other words, you can't just, no matter how much money you throw at Jesus, he's not... As we were looking at this, God, you know, God is trying to share with us a little bit to, to start paying attention to, I guess, our spiritual inventory. Where are we at? What are we putting our trust in? Because we can't buy that door open. We can't put the eyes to see what's on the other side of the door. We can't wear the right clothing. And we are not rich enough for Jesus to open that door for us. I promise you, we can't pay for that. It takes us to open that door as he's standing on the other door and knocking to allow him to come into our lives. And it's free. It just takes us to open the door. It takes us to make that step. He's already there. And the amazing thing for what John is sharing with this church is that he's trying to get them to remember the simple way of their faith. And it almost connects with the first church. Don't forget your first love. Don't get caught up in the things around to where you've forgotten who you've loved first. You see, I get caught up in this sometimes. Um, my dad, though, he, his words in my life continue to kind of ring true. Um, I used to be trying to chase, like early on I was trying to chase the dollar. I was trying to make sure that you know things were right in my life and, and that what I felt was right. And this was early on when I was 20 and I was trying to make as much money as I could. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> um, it was amazing. Uh, Tiffany and I were first together and I was probably working 80 hours a week. I was making some fat paychecks. You know, I was getting paid overtime and all the stuff was coming in, but I never saw her. <laughs> I was working all the time. And my dad, remember him telling me, he said, he came up to me, he said, there's nothing, there's no amount of money that you can pay to buy back time with those who love you. In other words, money or things cannot buy time with the ones that we love. That reminds me of today as where John is saying, no amount of money, no amount of medicine, no amount of clothing, no amount of richness is going to buy that time with God, because God is inviting you to open that door and be with Him. So this morning, as we finish these letters to the church in Revelation, as we have finished up this part of the series, I invite you to open that door and be with Christ. Open that door and allow Jesus to come closer to you. Don't just leave Him standing there and knocking. Allow Him to be your Savior. Allow him to come into your life so that the church, us, may receive that joy as well. So this morning, I invite you to, to stand as we close, but also to pray with me as we close in prayer this morning. God, we just give you thanks that, um, that you're our Savior, God, that, that you have paid it all, Lord, that we don't have to, to, we don't have to 
pay money to see you. We don't. We just have to open the door, Lord, that you're standing there all along saying, I'm here for you. Lord, help us to be, help us to be hot or cold. Help us to live out our purpose. Help us to live for you so that we might be able to live in a way that shares the love and the, the joy that we have in you, God. Lord, if there's someone here struggling with something this morning, Lord, we just pray for them right now. We, we lift them up to you. I ask that you will bless us as we close the service, as, as we sing to you, as we are, our hearts are warmed, as our hearts are made alive in you, God. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.
control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control.